Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Andres Kofed's The Lost Leonardo centers on the cell of the Salvador Mundi, savior of the world, a portrait of Christ purportedly by Leonardo da Vinci, which in 2017 was auctioned by Christie's Auction House for $450 million, a world record for any work of art. The bizarre story of his providence, the intrigue surrounding the multi-year restoration, and the worldwide controversy regarding its authenticity are all recounted in a nonstop narrative about the art world, international politics, and so many other things. Again, the film is called The Lost Leonardo, and joining us today is the director, Andres Kofed. Andres, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for the film. For anyone who loves documentary films, and especially for those who love documentary films about a story that you may be somewhat familiar with, maybe you heard about it in passing, but also for a kind of exploring a story that you couldn't make up. This is it. The Lost Leonardo is your is your cup of tea. It's just a remarkable story. And I'm sure you knew of all of these, this sort of machinations that were going on. But what prompted you to move forward with this as a documentary film project that you wanted to pursue? Well, in fact, I didn't really know much about the story uh, until a producer uh, here in Denmark, he presented the story for me and asked me if I was interested in directing a film about it. And and uh, because I, I don't really have any background within the, the fine arts world, um, but I was deeply fascinated by it because just the, the simple fact that the painting was found in 2005, bought for $1,100, and then in just 12 years, it becomes the most expensive piece of art ever sold and now belonging to Saudi leader, uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Just that is, is mind-blowing. And then when you add uh, on top of that, the, the whole question around the authenticity, is it a real Leonardo da Vinci painting or is it uh, by another artist or has it been transformed into being a da Vinci? All these questions come on top of it. And, and uh, yeah, then I started to to research uh, into the different characters. We wanted to tell it as far as possible through uh, first-hand sources, through the people who had uh, been close to the painting. Uh, and we pretty quickly decided that the main character should be the painting itself and that we should follow its journey through these different secretive worlds, you can call it, the art world, the financial world, and the geopolitical world. And, and yeah, it was not an easy job to fit all this into one narrative, but uh, but it was it was really a fascinating process. Well, you have woven it together in a very easily digestible way. And so that is really a truly a strength of the film. So you and your producer, who do you approach first? How do you sort of begin to pull on these different threads? Well, we, we actually just started uh, chronologically so, so we approached the, the two art dealers from New York who discovered the painting in 2005, Alexander Paris and Robert Simon. And then 
we approached the, the lady who restored it and who spent uh, at least four years restoring it, Diane Modestini, and we started doing interviews with them and asked them to tell their part of the story. And then we moved on to the different experts who saw it back then in 2008 uh, to the curator at the National Gallery in London who uh, took part in authenticating the, the painting as a, as a true Leonardo. And, and then we went on from there. But the further we got into the story, the, the, the more difficult it became to get access to the first-hand sources because at some point it's sold to this Swiss art dealer, Yves Bouvier, that we have in the film, but he sells it on the next day to a Russian oligarch who is desperately trying to place his money in uh, artworks. And over a course of, I think, uh, seven, eight years, he buys uh, 38 of the world's greatest paintings uh, for a total of $2 billion. And the Swiss art dealer gets a profit uh, in, in total of around $1 billion. Well, from there, it goes on to Mohammed bin Salman, who is also very difficult to approach. So we really had to, we, we started out with like all the first-hand sources, and, and then we really had to maneuver around these more difficult characters who was kind of unapproachable. Uh, and then and we had to tell the story in a, from a slightly different perspective towards the end. All the way through the story, we have this, this main character next to the painting, which is the restorer, Diane Modestini, who is like the painting's mother. She restored the painting just after losing her husband, who was also a very famous restorer. And uh, at some point, she had to pass it on when it was sold and for her it felt like uh, giving up a child and then all this criticism of the painting started coming and she was accused for having painted the, the painting and and uh, for having replicated uh, Leonardo's brush strokes and she of course denied that and uh, but but then she had to defend herself and the the, the painting and at the same time, the painting uh, vanished. She couldn't find it. It was locked away in a freeport somewhere. And, and so she is on this quest to actually defend the painting and find it again and protect it. Um, yeah. So wow. I, I was deeply fascinated by her. You know, this is where things go from the art world to the world of finance, to the world of international politics, to straight up power play, straight up just we don't we will do what we want to do with this painting and we will because we can this sort of that naked power that something that costs 450 million dollars will afford you this is where there was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago about the art world called the price of everything and yes. over the over the last few decades not exactly sure the time frame international art or art in general has become part of the very wealthy people's portfolio. If you don't have art in your portfolio now, there's something you're missing out on an investment opportunity. And it calls into question just so many different questions, so many different things about how we view art, why art's valuable to us as human beings, what what is the place of art in, in our society and in our understanding of the world around us. And inevitably, as someone once said, money changes everything. And certainly, 
we and we see this spectrum in the film. We see from Diane all the way through the art dealers to the people who are in this world to the people who are buying it, who are, are as it says in the you say in the film, opaque. It's a world we're not allowed to look into because it's really not about the art anymore. It's about tax havens and dodging financial responsibility for things. It's all a whole other world, right? And if I'm overstating this, please correct me. No, it, it's perfectly correct. It's exactly how, how it works. So, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a deeply fascinating, yeah. In a way, I think the story shows the best and the worst of hum, human beings. We have the art on the one side, the art as a beautiful uh, manifestation of humanity. We have the love for art, uh, art that can reflect our souls and so on, on the one side. And on the other side, we have the greed, and the speculation and the cynicism. And in this story, these two contrasts, they meet. And that, that's what's going on in the art market. All these beautiful things, they are being captured by these extremely wealthy people who, who seems like they, they don't even appreciate the pieces of art really because they stuck them away in free ports. So it's actually a pretty, pretty sad story that so much of the world's most beautiful art is actually not for uh, people to see at all and and it it's like yeah it's a disaster in a way but that's also what makes it so fascinating and i think you're completely right that for for some of these extremely wealthy people they they need art in their portfolio and within art you can get something that is really unique it's not like like just buying one of the biggest yachts or a new private jet it's something that you can only get one of and that's what makes it completely attractive to a guy like Mohammed bin Salman or a Russian oligarch that you can you can brag by saying I'm the only one who has this painting the Salvatore Mundi which is just like the Mona Lisa uh, but just the the male version and and in that way it becomes also because with Leonardo he's so rare so he only there's only 15 or 16 paintings known today so if you get hold of a painting like that, you can actually use it to attract tourists from all over the world. MBS is probably using it in, as a part of his rebranding strategy for Saudi Arabia as a more cultural nation, not just uh, an oil nation. Um, and in, in that whole strategy, this small wrecked painting uh, is, plays a key role, I think. And it, it's, it's absurd in a way. Yeah, well, yeah, it's absurd. This is a world where absurdity becomes its own internal logic. Yeah, yeah. And well, and I want to, I want to, I want to take a step back and kind of focus on the Salvador Mundi in the sense that it is compelling and beautiful. It is a piece of work that is is it draws you in. I mean, it, as you said, there may be only fifteen Leonardo. Da Vinci paintings available in the world, and for one to appear sort of out of nowhere, which is a part of the, this incredible backstory, by itself, on, onto itself, there is something very compelling about this piece of art. And whether or not, I mean, I, go ahead, what's, what's your opinion when you, when you look at it? I've, I have to say, I've never seen it in real life because it, it's not been possible uh, all the time I produced this film. Um, so 
And at the same time, I'm a complete lay person. I'm not an expert in art, but I talk to all the different, the world's leading uh, Leonardo scholars and they, they disagree. So there are like different camps and, and the arguments on both sides are pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and I've decided to, to stay open and not to really uh, talk so much about my own opinion, because I also think it's a, it's a point of the film that the viewer should be the detective in the story. It shouldn't be, right. I shouldn't tell them what to think. So, yeah. Well, what, rather, what, what I mean yeah. is, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, oh, no. What I meant, what I mean is the painting itself, whether or not it's Leonardo da Vinci or not, it's a compelling image. Is, is that? Uh, a, yeah. Yeah. I'm drawing. I think, I think you're, I think you're right because it has this dream like feature to it that it's, it's kind of the face of Christ is kind of blurred. Yeah. So it's like it's looking at you from from somewhere behind some layers. It's like it's it's like Christ is almost half dead. So some people say, well, it, it's like it's calling you from somewhere above. And I think also that's why people react really strongly to it. You, you could see uh, in the Christie's campaign, they did a fantastic video where they placed a camera underneath the, the painting and just focusing on the viewer. And yeah. the viewer had really strong reactions. It was, some people say, well, they staged everything, but it's when you make documentaries, you can see that this is actually, it's for real. So, so people really react strongly to it. But then again, it's also about the story that they are told before watching it. If they are told this is a long lost masterpiece by the genius Leonardo, uh, it's called the savior of the world. And then you walk into it, then you are ready to put all your emotions into it. If you are told on the other hand, this is a random painting. What do you think? I, I guess the reaction would be completely different. I might, I might be wrong. I've come down on the side of it's a compelling piece of art. And uh, I agree with what you said, this sort of hazy quality to it, but at the same time, you're just sort of pulled into it in a way that it's it's very it's it's I got that that reaction that was my reaction to it and in some ways the I this sort of uh, hazy perception of it really m mirrors the film itself. You can believe whatever you want to believe watching uh, this film and and as to whether or not it's a real Leonardo if it's not, but the lost Leonardo is you'll pull out of it what you want to believe. Exactly. That's true. And as long as there's no definite proof of it being Leonardo or not being Leonardo, yeah. people can use it in the way they, they like. Right. Well, I've just got a couple more minutes with you, but I do want to remind our listeners that uh, The Lost Leonardo is coming out today. today. Yes. Uh, here in, and it's available at the Landmark Theater and in Los Angeles. So, and it's a Sony Pictures classic, so you can go to the Sony website to find out more about the film and about how you can watch it, where it'll be available. I really want to underscore this for anyone listening to us, how beautifully done this documentary is. Uh, I'm so drawn to Diane. There's so many people in the film that, we, that you showcase that I'm drawn to. I really I want to believe so many of them, and at the same time, not all of them can be telling the, the the final truth in all of this but it's a very compelling 
rogues gallery in some ways of what uh, what's out there in the art world and how we view art and how and all of it, the finances, the international intrigue, it's all here. And it's just a beautifully paced film. And it's just, it drew me right in, like the like the painting. Uh, and I was along for the ride. And um, oh, congratulations on your work here. It's truly wonderful. Thanks so much. Well, I want to once again, let our listeners know that we've been talking with Andres Kofed, the director of this amazing film, The Lost Leonardo, be looking for it. If you can see it in a theater, do, because... There's no better experience than that to go to a theater and to watch it with a lot of people and come out of it talking with other people about what you've just seen, because you will want to talk to someone about this. There's no way you're walking out of that theater and not wanting to share your thoughts about it, because I can't imagine anyone coming out of there without an opinion. (laughs) So uh, congratulations to you on your work. And I look forward, hopefully, to another conversation. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.